Fish and Rob McGregor welcome you to a place where all kinds of phenomena flourish. Voices whisper, ancient secrets, signs and symbols are abundant. UFOs, ETs, ghosts, and even the dead move about freely. Here we meet authors, researchers, and investigators of the mysterious, the strange, and of the inexplicable anomalies that surround us. Step out of the everyday world and take a journey into the mystical underground. Welcome to the Mystical Underground. Thank you for joining us. This is Trish McGregor. And Rob McGregor. And our tech magician, John Posey. You can go to our website, phenomena111.com, to find out about our nonfiction books, including the most recent one, Phenomena, Harnessing Your Psychic Abilities. And you can visit our blog at blog.synchrosecrets.com, where we make regular posts. We want to introduce our guest today. He is Josh Lane, author of Conscious Nature and the Art of Neuroscience, Meditating in Nature, a book that ties the healing power of nature with mindfulness and meditation and also cutting-edge neuroscience. Josh's journey started with a fascination with nature as a kid that led to college studies that focused on the realm of our connection with nature and related mentoring on the subject. That led him to a decade-long apprenticeship in wilderness tracking and studying the ancient arts of reading nature's language. He, he has also explored a variety of meditative paths, including shamanism, hermetic Kabbalah, and Gigong uh, systems. I should also add that when he first contacted me last year, Josh told me that he had recently reread my Indiana Jones novels and wondered how much of his journey, his own journey had been inspired by the esoteric topics that I had embedded in these books. I think it was on reading the last of those novels, Indiana Jones in the Interior World, that uh, went into some of the philosophy of the Kogi Indians of the Sierra Nevada of Santa Marta Mountains of Colombia, that uh, Josh had a synchronicity uh, and uh, decided to contact me. Uh, would you like to talk about that, Josh, and get into that? Okay, Josh. Welcome, Josh. <laughs> hey, thank you. It's so great to be here with you all and yeah. uh, excited for our conversation. Yeah, it was quite a trail of uh, synchronicity that led me to contact you, Red, uh, uh, Rob. You know, I was uh, probably 12 when I picked up uh, a lot of those Indiana Jones books, and uh, they were really good. And I, I carried them with me through the years, different places I've moved. And uh, when I moved last fall, I had... Uh, I was sorting through my book collection and came across those and decided to sit down and read them again over a few weeks. And as I was going through them, I was really struck by uh, one scene after another of very particular uh, encounters uh, Indiana Jones was having in different contexts. And uh, light bulbs went off in my head with each one of, oh, I've, I've pursued that uh, right there, or I've had that experience too. And uh, it was quite amazing to kind of see my own life, uh, significant chapters of that unfolding as I was reading the book. So it was quite amazing. Hmm. Um, Josh, your, your thesis about getting out in nature uh, and into mindfulness or meditation, city people in particular sometimes have fears about getting out in nature, especially unfamiliar nature, uh, snakes and bugs and other critters <laughs> being out there. 
How are they supposed to meditate in an actual world? What, what's the simplest technique you could recommend for somebody like that? Like for me, <laughs> I'm afraid of bugs and snakes. Sure, yeah, it's kind of wired into us in a way um, to avoid hazards. And I think that also answers the question too, in that we're already adapted uh, to experience mindfulness in nature, because it's really how our ancestors survived for hundreds of thousands of years. So it's not something new that we need to learn. It's more something just to discover inside ourselves, our, our capacity that's there in our brain, in our senses, to be mindful in the moment that way. And I think a great way to start is uh, with an active meditation. You know, meditation doesn't just have to be sitting down uh, and being still, although there's lots of opportunities for that. So a way that we can start with that might be just asking the question, what's happening around me? right now and then just extending our senses out and feeling into it and also asking what's happening inside myself as i do that and that's really the language of nature and action right there because we're part mm -hmm. of nature so we can start to tune into that that way yeah so you you talk about the value of uh, finding your power place in nature. Uh, that was something that Carlos Castaneda wrote about in his uh, books about the importance of a power place, or power, finding a power place. Can you talk a little bit about that? How do you do that? How, how do you find your power spot? Yeah, well, my own mentor told me, okay, right now there's a place on the land nearby that's calling to you. It's waiting for you. And I was invited just to tune in to my senses, into my body with that question mm -hmm. and to just rotate around in all the directions and note the landscape with my senses and then wait for a little tug, a little feeling, a pull can be very subtle. When I found that I went in that direction and kept walking until I felt like I was in the right place. So that's mm -hmm. uh, one approach that's helped me quite a lot with that. Where, where did you initially do this in Hudson Valley? Um, yeah, actually, this was uh, up on the edge of the Berkshires where I first mm -hmm. learned that practice. Mm -hmm. um, and I've, I've had a chance to have uh, sit spots or meditation spots, as I call it, uh, in many places as I've traveled. And each place really does have something special to teach. Uh, yet at the same time, I find that when we do that, when we establish a relationship with the same place, when we go there, over and over and engage in this mindfulness practice that that place becomes part of us. So it's really mm -hmm. it's teaching us as we encounter the patterns around us, the way the animals respond to us and the way that the energy of nature moves in that place, it's pointing at something inside of us too. So we really uh, get these clues, you might say, around mm -hmm. us as to something that's happening on the inner level there. But uh, some of us might find this uh, power place, and maybe it's underneath a, a big oak tree or something. But then, when they see somebody walking by, they think they start thinking, becoming self-conscious about being there because this is not something that they might normally do. Uh, so, uh, how do they uh, deal with that situation of their their own feelings about uh, being out in nature? Yeah, that self-perception piece is huge. And I, I spend a lot of time on that in my book. But right. yeah, you know, one, one thing would be establishing, I think, really strongly for yourself. Why would you go and do such a thing? Why is that <laughs> practice calling to you? 
And if you're rooted firmly in that, <clears throat> that becomes an anchor point you can turn back to. So if doubt shows up or fear, uh, you can turn to that reference, that vision that you're holding of I'm doing this. Maybe it's because you want to relax. You want to just mm-hmm. get out in nature and enjoy that. So, you know, like, okay, this is helping me relax. This is good for me. Or maybe it's, I want to feel more spiritually connected to the earth and yeah. explore what that means. And, and that doubt comes up and there's an old Taoist practice that comes from the art of Bagua. And in Bagua, they're walking into these circle forms and uh, the, the monks, this was really way back a monastic art in a certain way, but the monks would have a little smile on their face as they walked in these circles. And somebody asked them, what are you smiling about? And they said, well, I realized that this, that uh, I may have somebody coming to attack me or an opponent that I'm training for, but really the one that I'm really watching out for is the one within that little inner voice, mm. that inner critic. And mm. so just smiling, I find that that little inner critic when it comes up is a great practice to go, Oh, there's that doubt. There's that judgment. I'm just going to smile at it. And just <laughs> this is good. What, um, have you found that during this pandemic and, all this chaos we've been going through for the last three months that it's changed your practice? Your personal? Oh, well, in certain ways. It's it's inspired me to get out in the woods more um, and mm-hmm. really root myself as much as I can. And I've been finding that there have been actually more people coming to me um, huh. at this time um, to do similar uh, practices. So uh, although like the workshops that I run in person, we haven't been able to do uh, lately, uh, we do quite a lot online as well. So, mm-hmm. uh, mentoring over the phone actually, uh, is something I've been doing a lot with, uh, individuals and groups to train this. You mean like with zoom or the actual phone? Uh, through both. Yeah. So I'll have a, a small group of maybe seven or eight people and we'll work on topics for a few months of establishing these kinds of practices that mm-hmm. we're talking about. Um, and then I'll do just as I was mentored, I was mentored in a tracking tradition. And the way that that works is you go out and you have an experience, you look for tracks or you go to your meditation spot and you have an experience. When you come back, your mentor asks you questions and mm. those questions draw on your awareness of that place and of yourself. And bit by bit, you step further into things that you hadn't noticed before through the questions. So the next time you get out there, you're primed literally to notice more things mm. so that's a pattern that uh, we model in that kind of mentoring yeah I, you, oh, oh, so, go okay. ahead. <laughs> I was thinking that uh, with the sheltering in place I was kind of opposed to the parks being closed because it's it's good to get out I could see closing off uh, shutting down you know organized sports soccer softball and that but uh, it's good for people to get out we have a huge park uh, not far from us, where I played disc golf, and uh, we cut, we quit the league, of course, because that's where you get a bunch of people together. But uh, you know, it, was, it would be just nice to get out there. And finally, the, you know, after I think six, eight weeks, they finally reopened it. But it's just, you know, for it's just uh, for mental health. It's great for just getting out in nature, <clears throat> and uh, you know, keeping dis- some distance and wearing a mask if you need to. But uh, you know, that uh, that seemed to me to be a mistake to to close off nature like that. Yeah, I think it was, you know, an attempt just to uh, mitigate people who may tend to clump together, you know, and, and lose the social distancing, distancing safety measure. 
right um is one and just maintaining capacity in parks too as more and more people are coming um but definitely i hear that from a lot of people of just that that real need to get outside and connect and right. how that really does impact our well-being uh, and certainly that was one of the things i really dug into when i was researching for the book was exactly what happens there and it's amazing because uh, meditation and nature that combination really does affect us in a positive way um, all the way from epigenetic level where meditating for eight weeks 20 minutes a day literally can activate hundreds of different uh, epigenetic triggers uh, for mm-hmm. the positive that, that change your health and then the combination mm-hmm. of that with getting outside it's been found that just being immersed in green space and in the natural environment boosts our immune system uh, with effects that can last for quite a while past the experience so uh, it really is important to get out there uh, in a responsible way, of course, but right. uh, a, and the, powerful, the, powerful thing to do. And the, the problem with closing it off is what happened when it reopened again. We, I went to one park for where I like to uh, go on the bike trails, and it was just jammed full of people. I, th- I was thinking, is there some kind of event here? Because <laughs> all the parking was filled, and there was overflow parking on the grass. And what's going on? Nothing was going on. It was just people wanting to get out again mm-hmm. after everything being closed. You know, and so I ran into huge groups of people. You know, I had 10, 12 people clumped together, and I'm trying to get around them on my bike on the trail. And I thought, this is no good. <laughs> you know, this is, uh, that yeah. wasn't a real nature experience. <laughs> you know, it's just people experience. Go ahead, Trish. Well, I'm just curious do you recommend that people look for a single power spot or, you know, and go there consistently? Or should they? Yeah, well, I find that consistency is a key with it. And so I might recommend to have a couple of them. One uh-huh. could be actually right in the backyard or out the back door or in your local park, somewhere you can get to without too much of a hassle because that mm-hmm. will actually encourage sure. you to get out there more. Yeah. And then yeah, we, uh, the second one mm-hmm. might be like more in the woods. Like if there's a, a favorite wilderness area, maybe it takes, you know, not everybody has immediate access to a place like that right. but if it's somewhere you can get on the weekend uh for a couple of hours on a special wander um and go to that spot and visit it that's a nice way to get a different ecology experience a different mm-hmm. habitat and uh just a, a different vibe as well yeah. can you have a power spot at a beach Why not? yeah oh, i mean yeah. like a public nice. beach you know even, even if mm-hmm. other people are there you could still have a power spot right you can meditate yeah absolutely yeah it's really about i mean all of nature wherever we go is nature um can we find it that's the mm-hmm. the thing it's a mindset in a way can we expand our mindset into what is nature doing right where i am even if we're inside like i look around i'm feeling the desk in front of me the wood here came from a tree you know and i'm just breathing the air as well in the room and connecting that to the air outside mm-hmm. moving around and just in the body too our body is made of minerals that come from the earth we're an extension of the earth so when we shift our mindset and tune into it that way we can find that power spot wherever we are uh-huh. that's kind of one of the lessons i found in that practice is that that can come with us wherever we go yeah, so it's like can, portable can i yeah yeah can i throw ahead, something john. in here ahead, uh, because yeah. when uh when when uh my last dog Tyler passed away uh there was a spot and it wasn't particularly special 
to us when he was alive, but I was drawn to that particular spot. And I would go for weeks, maybe even a couple of months afterwards, I would just go there and sit, and I felt closest to him there for some reason. Hmm. So, hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, when I, my, when I go out in nature, a lot of times it's, it's with uh, Nigel, a dog, and uh, it's uh, kind of a mixed bag with <laughs> meditating and a dog. I mean, he likes the frisbee. I'll be meditating, and he'll have that frisbee in his mouth and bang me in the <laughs> shoulder with the frisbee. You know, so it's, uh, uh, but it's it's good to get out and you know, uh, sometime uh, after a while, after a few minutes, when he realizes that I'm just not going to uh, <laughs> throw the uh, play frisbee. play anymore, then he'll just uh, you know calm down, and lay down next to. Me and join the meditation. Mm. Yeah, it seems like there's an opportunity maybe for a dog meditation there too. Uh-huh. What, would it, what cool. would it be like to shift into the dog uh, mindset? You know, and right. uh, what yeah. what is what does he get into? What kind of stuff does he like to uh, <laughs> mindfully focus on? It's it's all about smells, John. Yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they they uh, you know he he can find his ball. Uh, I'll see it, and he won't even be looking at it, looking for it, but he'll be sniffing for it. And uh, you know, I say it's right there, and he's sniffing around, and then finally he catches catches the right scent and finds it. Uh, so they 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 have a way of smelling much. Uh, they take their power their power yeah. places with them. <laughs> right, and have a very wide range of uh, uh, smelling abilities. Josh, in your experience with this type of meditation, have you encountered spirits? Hmm. Yeah, you know, um, that's an interesting question. And I find that when we tune into the land, there's uh, there's an old concept. I forget the exact Latin phrase for it, but it's uh, maybe genius locale or spirit of place. Right. It's the idea that, that each place has a unique energy to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one of the most interesting things that I've been uh, tuning into is just the feel. There's a feeling to it, to a place like if you visit a special spring or maybe even a cave, or it could be, you know, just a, a beach somewhere with a mm-hmm. little ri- river mouth coming out onto it. And the animals move along. Uh, these places all have a, a dynamic. And I think of it as a dynamic of the elements coming together in different configurations. So you have mm-hmm. earth, air, fire, and water. And in the space that contains them, if we kind of use that, that, that very old way of looking at things, um, not just like as physical elements, but sort of as right. uh, built organizing principles, you could say, uh-huh. qualities of energy and mm-hmm. motion. And each place has a different configuration of these um, that makes that sort of sense of a feeling or the spirit of the place. Um, mm. And I find that it opens up our creativity in different ways uh-huh. to interact with those different places. Um, have you found that... For instance, let, let's say you went to, I don't know, Stonehenge. Do ancient sites have more power, generally, in terms of the meditation you do? Mm, we might say different, different power. Different, you know. Uh, um, and it depends. This kind of comes back to something I write about in the book, which is setting an intention. And it goes back to Rob's mm-hmm. question, too. Uh, with the dog it's like how do you meditate when you have the dog there uh-huh. and what is the purpose of that particular meditation you know because that will depend on the kind of energy that you're trying to align with mm. um, if it's just to relax you know you can do that anywhere 
Yeah. Um, for the most part, once you have some techniques, uh, if you want to connect with the language of nature, what the birds are saying um, about the animals moving seen and unseen on the landscape, that mm-hmm. requires a little bit of a different approach where maybe uh, if you have the dog, you could see how the birds respond to the dog, but he might be uh, scaring other things uh-huh. to come by. Uh, <laughs> and the same thing with, uh, with the place and the energy that's moving there. Um, I like to tune into what's there. What does it feel like? And then ask myself, well, what do I need right now? What what am I trying to accomplish? And does this energy work with that? Or how could I flow with that? So it always becomes, it comes back to you, what your intention is, what your questions are. Questions and purpose. Yeah, and that's purpose, a huge, yeah. huge driver. Yeah. yeah. So, and, 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 and I'm sorry, I, cause I've got a very specific question about that too, because, uh, uh, when I'm, Coming out of high school, I traveled through Europe and and stayed in a lot of homestays and little little towns uh, uh, throughout Europe and and you know they would always take us to their you know to their cathedral, their church and and inevitably we got a tour of the catacombs and it mm-hmm. was always just heavy. But so yeah, was it was it just a reverence or is there you know power there just because there's such a I mean, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of years old in some point, you know, mm-hmm. in some cases. But if that makes sense, that's, there's a question in there somewhere. But I mean, it, <laughs> it, like, but I mean, even like Notre Dame, uh, when we went there, uh, I'm not, you know, not Catholic, felt the need to light a candle because uh-huh. there was a heavy presence in that <clears throat> building. It, you just, when you walked into the building, you could tell it was different from the sidewalk. It just was. Uh-huh. It's a power place. Yeah. Mm. This kind of goes back to uh, Sheldrake's idea of morphogenetic it fields. It sure does. <laughs> and re- yeah, repetitive action in a place building an energetic memory bank that uh, I could almost see that in your story there, John, of uh, kind of you know wanting to light the candle because the action's been done so many times with right. attention. It's morphic there. presence. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. So I noticed many of your uh, nature meditations are with your eyes uh, open, which, um, you know, in my meditation practice, I, I've done eyes open uh, staring at candle. And I do that in some of my uh, yoga classes, meditation workshops. Uh, and we do some meditative walks to paying uh, very close attention to every step and moving in slow motion uh, and it's but that's you, in a yoga room, right? That's, uh, that's, that's the difference. That's, that's indoors. Yeah. yeah. So it's, uh, it's different, but I, I always find it more difficult to meditate with my eyes open. Uh, and so some of your exercises were new to me because, uh, they're linked to the tracking experience. And I'd like you to get into that. Um, one place would be to start on uh, this thread would be <coughs> with your personal experience with tracking a red fox, uh, that, uh, uh, you could, like, you could go if you go into that. Oh yeah, the fox. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's. Uh, well, as as a tracker, you know, I often over the years reflect on what tracking even is to me. Is it just following footprints somewhere, um, or is it more than that? And uh, as I connect with an animal, that's really something that's happening there. I'm, I'm following the footprints. 
Since you said that, the dog started. Yeah, there's a concurrence there. <laughs> um, yeah, as I follow the, the footsteps of the fox, I start to get a glimpse into that animal's world. And it becomes a, a dynamic meditation uh, where my senses, every sense becomes attuned to the story of that trail. Um, you know, how old are the tracks by the way they're drying out? Um, how much weight was the fox putting on each foot? How did it turn its head and move the mud or the soil around its foot as it turned or as it stopped or sped up? And so my body starts to get this feeling of the fox moving as I study the trail and move with it. And in a sense, I start to become the fox. Oh, that is and, cool. um, as I'm doing that, I'm feeling my arms getting covered with dark fur and then my back with the, with the reddish orange fur and the tail growing, my ears <clears throat> extending out and my sense of smell and hearing heightening. Um, so there's this dynamic that's happening of stepping onto that, that trail, that energetic pathway that that fox has left. And um, this starts to open up this meditation of the world of the fox, really. Mm -hmm. Now, I wonder if the fox, what does the fox feel? <laughs> does the fox mm. know it's being tracked? That's what I wonder. Mm. Mm. I mean, is it becoming human? <laughs> does it feeling with your senses? In other words, is there an exchange here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've heard that from different traditions that there is an interchange uh, in many different wis wisdom traditions talk about that, uh, including the um, the fairy traditions of uh, of Ireland uh, in that mm -hmm. area of the world, talking about that there is a, a, a beneficial exchange between um, the, the beyond human and human realms coming together that each of us, we give something and they give something. So, uh -huh. Yeah, interesting question. Yeah. Hmm. So you talk about a uh, speaking of the fox, you talk about a particular way of walking in nature, walking like a fox, as you say. Uh, can you give an example of, uh, or actually, you do give an example. I read of an uh, of walking actually right through a, a flock of feeding robins without scaring them into flight. How did you do that? Wow. Okay. <laughs> Well, there's, you know, if you watch somebody, if you're ever sitting there in the woods, like if you are at your power spot or your meditation spot, and you happen to be near a trail close enough to see somebody walking, what you'll probably see if they were partially obscured is you'd see their head bobbing up and down and kind of leaning forward. Uh, because we kind of have this city walk that we bring into the woods where we're, we're probably wearing shoes and we're probably moving at a clip, uh, you know, in a hurry somewhere. Mm. And this, this makes this very... A distinct motion that stands out from the flow of the woods. So the first thing is, uh, if we can safely do so, we might take our shoes off. And if we don't feel comfortable uh -huh. doing that, uh, thin-soled shoes uh, are great to help us feel more contact with the ground. And as soon as we do that, we'll start to walk differently. Uh, you see mm. this with barefoot runners a lot, that their whole gait changes. And we can do this in walking by just carefully taking a shorter step and letting our foot just feel the ground a bit before we commit our weight. And that's going to slow us down. And it's going to stop that kind of motion because we're going to be more centered in our center of gravity. Mm -hmm. So as we're doing this, we start to develop a more flat, horizontally oriented energy. But if you see a fox, they kind of glide along. Uh -huh. And so we're, we're bringing that, we're invoking that feeling of gliding through the forest. 
and uh, we might even become the fox as we do that. Mm. Now, this particular story uh, with the robins, you know, I, I was walking through the woods uh, near my meditation spot, and I had to get to the other side of the woods because I was going to meet somebody there. So I was kind of on a deadline, and deadlines don't always go along with nature's agenda. <laughs> and there was only one particular trail I could use that particular spot to get through. And right when I got there, what do I see but a big flock of robins on the ground. This was the end of the winter going into the early spring. So they're, they're all feeding together, turning over leaves. And I knew that I didn't want to just plow through there and startle them up because it was a lean time of the year. And I knew mm-hmm. that they had a very uh, you know limited calorie regimen they were on there. So what I did was, instead of staring at them, because if you stare at an animal, usually one doing that would be a predator in nature. So <laughs> I didn't look directly at them. I looked above them and off a little bit. And I kept track of them in my peripheral vision. And I just very gradually put out the intention. You know, I'm just coming through. Don't mind me. Checked in with that. I got a feeling like, yeah, that's okay. Just hmm. go slow. It'll be good. You had to go very slow, right? I had to go very slow. So I went from a fox walk, which is, you know, you can fox walk at regular speed or even faster than normal walking once you get it down. But I went into quarter speed. I got about 20 feet away from them. Hmm. And then I went into about eighth speed of my normal walk as I got within 10 feet. And so I just got to the point when I got right up to them about, you know, five feet away, I moved into about 60 seconds per step. And when Jeez. you move about that slow, the animals, if you, if you move smoothly enough, they won't really notice your motion. And hmm. when they're all around you, it's a lot trickier. <laughs> But they allowed me. They really, that's what it was. Pretty sure they knew I was there, but they knew I wasn't going to bother them. And they just allowed me through. And Hmm. it took a long time, honestly. It took a good 20 minutes um, to move through the the thickest part of where they were. And then I was able to speed up a little bit more gradually again. That's incredible. It was a a really cool moment. Yeah. And you keep your arms at your sides, right? You don't lift the arms up that Would, uh, yeah, you want to break up your outline as a human being generally. <laughs> um, so yeah, keep your arms. I kept my arms uh, just tight in, yeah, right against me, so they weren't out at all. Right. Mm. Yeah. So the concept of becoming the animal that you're tracking is uh, fascinating, and I guess it uh, is related to hunting techniques of traditional cultures that go way back, um, which the tribal members prepare for hunt for hunts by dressing and dancing as animals and enter a trance state. And uh, shamans would also become animals uh, that serve as their guides into the spirit world. Uh, have you had experiences related to shamanism? Uh, did you have a, uh, a, a shamanic mentor involved? Yeah, in my view, I would see tracking as the origin of shamanism. Uh-huh. That means yeah. you have that deep connection with the animal or with the earth or with the elements. Um, so there's, in my mind, no separation between the two when you approach it in this holistic way. If you're just looking at uh, footprints in a mud puddle, you know, that's a different story. That's more the analytical part of the brain, you know, coming mm-hmm. in. Um, but when you get into this full embodiment of the animal, 
And that's mm. where I see that overlap with shamanism. And it's a constant thing. Um, it's a constant thing of interesting synchronicities and moments uh, of, of insight and intuition. Uh, what the Bushmen in the Kalahari call the great dance. It's <coughs> a sense of oneness um, that mm. unfolds. And that's what the meditation leads to. Yeah, can you have, talk? Wait, wait, I have a question. Have you ever been a bird? <laughs> yes, I, I've had have some very interesting uh, things happen with birds. A number of uh, times when I found myself uh, lucid dreaming and and suddenly spiraling over my my house and in the area, mm. realizing that I've become a bird and I'm you know catching the thermal. <laughs> wow! Know? So yeah, lots lots of interesting moments like that. Yeah, and that all relates to what uh, the the mythology of the the sand people of the Kalahari that you wrote about. Can you talk a little bit about f their first creation and the second creation myth? Yeah, so they maintain one of the most ancient tracking cultures in the world, and one of the uh, pieces of wisdom that they speak of is that originally there was just this state of being that they call the Great Dance. And in this state of being, people could turn into animals. The animals could turn into people. And there was this constant ability to shapeshift. And perception was not locked into any one form at hmm. that time. And there was, interestingly, no sickness or death in that state as well. And then they say at one point, Trickster appeared. And Trickster <laughs> was language. And Trickster huh. whispered into the animals' ears and into the people's ears. And told them what they were, what they mm. were in that moment. So he told Giraffe in that moment, you're a giraffe. And as soon as Giraffe heard that, Giraffe forgot that she could turn into anything. Oh, wow. So the same with the people. And so they say that that's when second creation <clears throat> began. And in that state of second creation, this is where sickness and aging appeared because static things in nature get broken mm -hmm. down eventually. Um, that flow disappeared. And so their goal is to remember that state of the first creation, that what yeah. they call the great dance. So the healing mm. dances they do, uh, as many, as well as many other things, help them get into that state of remembrance. And of you, you, visit, you, visited, you visited those people, didn't you, on a trip that you took? I, I did have a chance to visit them. Yeah, it was, it was very amazing. Um, and just, just to uh, track with some of the elders there. And it, we spent a lot of time just following trails and what a great just observing together, really observing together. And what felt cool about it to me too, was that this just felt like what I do normally. <laughs> you know, this was just another day, but it was, you know, with people who've been passing this on culturally for untold generations. Um, hmm. And just to feel that uh, mutual connection that way, of just appreciating the earth and being there together uh, in the mystery was a really special thing. Were, were you welcomed? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, welcomed. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was, it was a beautiful, beautiful so the, experience. Yeah. They maintain their culture, but yet they have interactions with the modern world. And how are they able to maintain that culture? Yeah. It, it's a challenging time. Their culture has been on the precipice for a long time, and that's part of what drives their desire to connect as well, to mm -hmm. really help people understand the beauty and value of their culture uh, and 
really to help get their younger generations interested in it as well uh, in the midst of cultural impact. Um, so it, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a situation where um, there's a lot on the line for them, really, um, to maintain their ancient ways uh, in the midst of modern pressures. Um, so they're really interested in sharing their story. And also they see that there's a lot of illness and lack of well-being in the modern world. And they're seeing this as a direct repercussion of a sense of separation from nature, from getting into that second creation, uh, you know, where that great dance has been uh, forgotten. So they're interested in also sharing what they know to help people remember that. Uh, hmm. that we're all part of nature and that this is something we need to remember at this time for everyone. Yeah, that's, that's the same with... Uh, in the, some of the traditional cultures in uh, South America, like the Kogi Indians uh, in the Sierra Nevada of Santa Marta, uh, those mountains go up like 14,000, 15,000 feet within 20 miles of sea level at the ocean. And uh, during the colonization or the conquest, they went up higher and created their villages and to, to escape the conquistadors. And uh, they maintain the idea that they are the elder they are the elder brothers and the younger brothers are these ones that come with the helicopters and the airplanes and uh, they're responsible for the sun coming up with their meditations and the sun setting and the daily life to con continue on and uh, teaching their children is a, a challenge because you know they 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 go down to Santa Marta and sa sample the music <laughs> sample the <laughs> modern world and uh so that's a but um oh yeah i have a question uh, josh what in, in your nature med meditations have you received any precognitive information that might have told you something like this pandemic was coming mm. i've definitely had flashes of that over the years uh, and usually they come in moments for me of making uh, particular choices that relate to my path in life. Mm -hmm. um, and I've had enough experiences with that where I'm a pretty rational, logical person. So it probably took a long time for that to break its way through my, uh, <laughs> my mindset. But I've had enough experiences personally where I don't doubt it. Um, mm -hmm. And I really work in tune with that now. I've I think of it as a process of integrating the right and left hemispheres of the brain in a way, uh -huh. um, seeing seeing that holistic pattern. So I, I certainly think that that's a possibility um, to have that going on, that level of detection. And I think, again, what we talked about earlier comes back to what are the questions we're asking, mm -hmm. not just in a surface way, but right. what are we holding at the forefront of our consciousness that's super important, that reaches to us on a heart level that we might call a burning question. What are those mm -hmm. burning questions? And I think that's going to inform that information that comes through in that way that you're talking about. Hmm. Well, I mean, in terms of earth and nature and the kind of meditations you do, what what's your take on this virus? Hmm. I mean, well, is it... Go ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah. You know, it's it's one of those things where I like to observe uh, and try not to read into it initially, mm -hmm. um, but just observing, you know, what's going on. It is causing a slowdown. 
Uh, it is giving people an opportunity to take stock and mm-hmm. shift out of business as usual into some new patterns. Um, so it is doing that. The question is, you know, what are we learning from that? I think uh-huh. that's always the question with whatever comes along. Um, there's been certain- there's been improved there's been improvements in the environment as well uh, with people doing less and uh, slowing down. Uh, they can see the Himalayas <laughs> first time in 50 years. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> right. Yeah. Well, do you foresee yeah. something positive coming out of all this in terms of our awareness of the planet? I think so, because just like that story of being able to see the mountains, uh-huh. you're getting direct feedback through this about our behavior. And we're seeing what can shift if we were to shift the other things we're doing. Mm-hmm. So I think the potential is there. And that's what I feel with it. I feel it's a state of potential um, mm-hmm. that exists right now. And yeah, can we ask those questions? Uh, what are we learning from this? How can we move forward from this uh, actually having learned something? that we can apply uh, to help each other and help the environment. Right. Let's talk about the value of walking barefoot uh, on the earth. Uh, I've always liked to uh, do that, at least in my yard and beach, of course, uh, not so much at the dog park for obvious reasons, but uh, I've always felt there, there was some benefit of connecting our bodies or feet directly to the earth. Now you're right, they're quite, in quite a bit of detail about the scientific evidence to that effect. Can you go into uh, this area? Yeah, it was really fun to learn about because growing up, my grandfather was always in the garden with his hands in the soil and he'd encourage me to get my hands in there. And he'd say, you know, some people say there's something invisible that comes up from the soil that gets into you. Uh, that's good for you when you do that. Sounds like a cool guy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, I always had that in the back of my mind uh, growing up. And then when I got into the research, there's, you know, small studies. They're not really huge studies yet around this, but they're they're very compelling and interesting. Um, And certainly there's micro voltage changes going on when we get uh, barefoot and in contact with conductive ground. And these micro voltage changes uh, affect everything from our blood viscosity uh, to our brain waves mm. and our immune function as well. So, you know, it's an interesting realm, uh, what's being called grounding. Um, very fascinating. Yeah, electrical grounding with uh, negative, uh, negative uh, releasing the positive energy we receive uh, from above into the earth below. And uh, I was telling one of my friends, uh, who's a musician about this, we were talking online and uh, about the value of the, the barefoot. And he said, well, that must be why Keith Richards is still alive. He's <laughs> connected through, through his guitar, you know, his electric guitar. <laughs> we really are electrical beings. It's really fascinating how much uh, electrical uh, impact has on our body, especially now as we're immersed in kind of a soup of Wi-Fi and uh, uh-huh. cellular signals and different things. I think it really is important to just do what we've done since the beginning of time, which is make an effort to just get our skin in contact with the earth, with mm-hmm. the earth directly. Yeah. And, you know, just, uh, just 15 minutes of that can significantly shift your immune system response. So it's just something to keep in mind, even if uh, you can't get to the beach, just spray your lawn. Um, if you have some garden soil, 
there, just spray it with a hose and put your feet in the soil, get out a lawn chair, read a book for 20 minutes and uh, get hmm. a dose of ground, grounding for that day right in the backyard. Nigel will love that. <laughs> <laughs> Start digging. Yeah. Really. <laughs> Maybe that's why dogs dig, yeah. you know. Mm. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it seems to me animals, domestic animals do things that are rooted in ancient wisdom, you know. Oh, well, I think uh, it's... Pretty, I mean, part of it's instinct, too, but... Well, and bearing food uh, that they can find yeah. there mm-hmm. is pretty terrible, and they re- retrieve <laughs> these bones. <laughs> um, I have a question. One of the things you talk about in your book is about how relationships with nature require tending. And I got the impression that if we as individuals tend to our personal relationships with nature, it helps us tend to our relationships with parents, children, friends, would you say that's true? How, how would definitely, that? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely see that everything that we do in our relationship with nature transfers over, uh, because let's just talk about empathy for a moment. Uh, as you get out to your meditation spot over and over, you start to build connections with the beings that live there. Uh-huh. You start to <clears throat> notice, uh, the, the plants that are there every day. You notice there's that same bird in the tree every day and over time you get to know the, the character of that bird what it likes to do and where it, where it hangs out what it does when the cat sneaks through and it yells at the cat <laughs> or where, where it likes to die for cover when a hawk comes through mm-hmm. um, so you get to know these beings that are there and i find that very quickly uh, people really open up this sense of empathy and love and respect for the place that they get to know on that deep level Mm. Now yeah. that that once we have that going, you know that's that's very easy to transfer over uh, into our relationships um, because let's let's say we're approaching our meditation spot. We we don't want to just rush out there, you know, because we start to observe that bird that we've gotten to know right. that that toey that lives in in the brush there. That if we just run right out there, you know, we're going to scare that bird. And we start to realize, oh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to make such a big splash. I want to assess what's going uh-huh. on, feel into it, and then approach mindfully. And that's a skill that we can transfer right into our relationships. We mm-hmm. can you know, assess what's going on for this person. Are they in a good mood, a bad mood? You know, We can ask some tracking questions, like what's going on for them today? How did they get that way? What can we mm-hmm. do to support? So it, it opens up, I find, uh, this chance to dialogue and also feel what's going on with the, with the people in our lives. Yeah. When uh, in your book, uh, you go into expanding your vision. And I, I was kind of surprised at first that you're actually referring to, uh, to expanding physical vision, the peripheral vision. Uh, and he was sitting in front of the TV doing this weird thing with his hands. Yeah, I was <laughs> <laughs> out, out to the sides and pulling them back to see I how thought, what is Rob doing? far I could uh, still see my hands. And it's surprisingly far that you can still, you're looking ahead, uh, staring ahead, that you can still uh, have a physical vision, uh, peripheral vision of, uh, of your hands. And, uh, so how does this relate to expanding your, uh, your meditation? Sure. So just on a practical level, this is a, a functional dynamic meditation in nature, because when you expand your peripheral, you tune into motion much mm-hmm. more easily and also to the holistic picture. So it's shifting the brain regions you're using. 
uh, to go from that more detail-oriented linear thinking into a, a big picture view of what's going on. And you know, this is actually a state that many uh, meditation systems, uh, the meditator arrives at kind of unconsciously through their practice, this expanded perception, maybe in Zen staring at the wall, you know, you get that effect. Um, mm. but different systems bring you there in different ways, but you can also just go right there just by turning the eyes and the vision on that way. And this will get you into an alpha brainwave state mm. uh, very nicely. If you, if you hold that for about 10 minutes, you'll really feel the shift of that, just breathing with that. And of course, so what we're talking about here for those who aren't familiar would be looking towards the horizon and then just letting your field of view soften and so that you're noticing not just one thing, but you're noticing everything all at once. Mm -hmm. So you get into that, make sure you blink your eyes, make sure you move your eyes around so they're comfortable, but keep coming back to that, looking just above the horizon, taking it all in, and mm -hmm. you'll find a really interesting perceptual shift start to happen. So it just naturally leads you into this meditative state. And a way I like to describe that is how we see how we use our eyes affects how we think. So there's a direct link there. It's not only the eyes, it's also the ears, the auditory uh, way of uh, meditating where you uh, you were talking about the circles, uh, <coughs> the nearest circle of what you hear close by, what you hear in the medium distance and paying attention to picking up what you hear in the uh, a greater distance. Uh, is that part of the technique of tracking too? Absolutely. These are, these are doorway techniques. You could say the foundations of awareness right here. And mm -hmm. we want to cultivate each of the senses really uh, this way, really intentionally. And as we do that, you know, we can tune into the feelings behind the sounds as well. You know, so the intentions, um, you know, the way a bird, makes a sound uh, when it's singing that has a feeling to it mm. but when there's a cat in the bushes we can't see but the bird sees it it's going to mm. have this alarm sound that carries right. a very a very different feeling so when we tune into the feeling and also expand out like you're talking about into sort of the 3d uh, surround soundscape you mm. know we start to track these patterns this way and so it becomes another level of meditation where the birds literally become an extension of ourselves. Mm -hmm. They see things that we can't see. And once mm -hmm. we know that pattern, you know, that alarm for that cat that that bird's making, we don't have to see the cat to know that it's there. Right. The bird is telling us. So literally the bird, instead of thinking about, okay, I'm just meditating on my breath, we can meditate on the whole that's going on and just be immersed in that as a meditation. Hmm. What, see, this happens daily outside my window with my cat there there were some birds this spring that were you know had a nest and she would go out there and they would just fuss and you could tell i mean there was a definite different and difference in tone <laughs> oh yeah that's, you know it's they're they're uh, i think it's called mobbing isn't it uh, yeah, Josh? it'd start uh, dive bombing the cat and were, were they yeah a bunch of them start squawking and trying to drive the animal the predator away uh, josh yeah. i have a question yeah. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was well, so going to ask when when you see that or when you experience that mobbing, what what is your body's reaction to that? Where do you how does that come through in your body? Well, I, I usually what I do is get up and go to the window and call the cat because the the poor birds are so upset. Mm. So mm -hmm. I mean, it 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 prompts movement. Mm, prompts movement. Yeah, 
Does the sound have a feeling to it? That yeah, it does. Sound? It has it has, it has an alarmed feeling to D- it. Distress. Yeah, yeah distress. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. you feel. I feel bad for them. Mm-hmm. Mm. Especially because yeah. the other day I found a baby bird dead. I thought, oh, that's not good. Yeah, and they're calling mm. out to the other creatures too. Mm. The other the other uh, birds around that uh, there's you know it's a predator in the area. Josh, mm. let me ask you another question. Okay, Florida is prone to hurricanes. So what kind of meditation, if a hurricane's approaching, what kind of meditation do you recommend? Hmm. Well, of course, first, you know, meeting all the uh, physical criteria for safety that you can do, right? So that's uh, kind of in the tracking traditions I've learned. It's like work everything you can do on the physical level, Uh you know, to get yourself safe, get yourself ready. And then energetically, you know, what do you need in that moment first? Because if you're not grounded, if you're not centered, you know, how can you be of help to others? So I think that would be a first question. What do I need to do to ground myself? Uh, I might, you know, just really sense my root chakra. I might sense roots Uh down into the earth, Mm -hmm. you know, really just feeling myself settle into my body. And I find that no matter what we're doing, what our goal is, if we're embodied, we're going to have a much more powerful effect on what we're doing. So that mm-hmm. would be the first step, just being centered in oneself and in place so that our mind is clear, we can take action that we need to do. And then also just really, once we have that, you know, there's a layer of projection that can occur like, oh, this is good. This is bad. Um, <clears throat> so dialoguing, you know, with what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um as it just is, you know, trying to get to that layer of this just is and being with that and then seeing what information comes through once we mm-hmm. uh, once we clear any projection that's going on as much. Is as there any way to communicate with a hurricane? <laughs> to me, yeah. it's similar to a fox, you know, like when I was okay. tracking that fox, you know, like mm. what's coming up in my mind's eye as I track right. that fox. What, okay. and, and just like you did with the bird just now that was alarmed what feelings are coming through in your body um, mm-hmm. as you connect with that, you know, and set that intention to connect. Um, so mm. feeling and then imagery, um, these are a couple of, of ways. Huh. Okay. And so Josh was, uh, you, t- you speak of your mentor. Was that Tom Brown, the author? Uh, I have uh, done a number of trainings with Tom Brown. I actually found the first student he ever had, whose name is John Young, and John was a kid uh, back before Tom started his books in his school. And he lived, he happened to live right next to, to Tom Brown huh. as neighbors. I think Tom was 21 and John was probably like 10 or something. And he saw that John was really interested in nature. So he took him under his wing for a number of years and, and mentored him in that uh, lineage. And so I, yeah, I've been working with John for, oh gosh, I don't know, over 20 years now, probably. Wow. Hmm. Hmm. Gosh, I've learned how to communicate with hurricanes. <laughs> <laughs> I, got, I got another question. Uh, 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 so ASMR, which I think maybe uh, depending on who you bring it up to, uh, has kind of a uh, shady past just because it's associated with erotica, but but more and more, this is coming up on podcast and YouTube and uh, just this 
auditory meditation based off of these simple sounds. Is is that maybe because we're disconnected and to get these these uh, really intense uh, experiences with sounds? I think just on a general level, with all the pressures that we have uh, in modern life and you know, the need to, uh, just get through each day, you know, the different things that happen, uh, and the lack of nature connection that we have in general. I think that the body on a primal level uh, wants to find whatever it can to help us get into our being. I think that's the name of the game is what Mm -hmm. is going to get us into our being. And so there's billions of ways to do that. And the body, uh, just as a, tactile unit i mean it's it's so powerful just to bring us right here right now if you just feel the breeze moving across your cheek if you're outside or even in a room you might tune in just to the feeling on your skin and it can mm. be a very subtle subtle sensation but just doing that brings us into our being so i think people are craving things that bring us into our being out of the distractions that come up day to day so this might be one, you know, manifestation mm. of that primal impulse, you could say. Yeah, mm. oh, definitely. So, Josh, we're uh, coming to the end of our hour. What's uh, next for you? Are you working another book, or what's what's your what are your plans? Yeah, well, I'm I'm putting together some audio trainings right now uh, to guide people in, yeah, going further in these arts. Um, and yeah, thinking about the next book or two, and uh, I've got a lot of ideas in the mix right now. And, uh, you know, just for folks who want to tune in, you can come to my site, ConsciousNature.net, and I have some free resources on there, a blog, um, some things you can subscribe and email to get, and also some yeah, trainings that are already out there, uh, like my Primal Awareness training. So yeah, lots of good stuff in the works here. Have you restarted your uh, wilderness meditations? Oh, workshops, or of workshops. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I have uh, I have a workshop in September at the end of September at the Art of Living Retreat Center down in the Blue Ridge Mountains, North oh, Carolina. Nice. Uh, oh. So that's still on the books right now. You know, we're kind of playing it week by week, uh, but hopefully everything will be good for that. Um, and then in the meantime, uh, yeah, doing things online. Well. Explain about this Blue Ridge Mountain. What 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 would that entail? Yeah, so that'll be a weekend retreat at a really beautiful yoga center up in the top of the Blue Ridge Mountains. Uh, And we're going to be getting into my primal awareness uh, curriculum, which is really getting into the five elements and how they Mm -hmm. play in nature uh, through our senses. So we'll be doing a lot of really fun uh, elemental meditations and exploring outside uh, the the feelings of different places and how they they connect and uh, shift our consciousness as we connect with them. Well, the Blue Ridge is a gorgeous, gorgeous yeah. area. That seems like an ideal spot to do it. Yeah, that Blue Ridge Parkway out of Asheville, North Carolina is great. You can just go miles and miles and miles and miles and not see another uh, uh, town or anything. You're just in the, in the wilderness. There's places to mm. pull over and stop and hike. Yeah. One of the things before we let you go, uh, I was going to mention this earlier, but uh, uh when we're, I was saying that we, when people find a power spot and they go out and, you know, they may feel a little bit inhibited about that. Well, 
there's something I do that people find to be odd. I like to sleep outside. And I, I do this all winter long in South Florida because it's beautiful. Not in a sleeping bag. He sleeps on a couch. Uh, well, in a sleeping bag sometimes. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I'm just saying it's, it's not it's like a, you're camping yeah, out in the backyard. It's, it's, on, it's on the porch. Uh, yeah. And I can have the door open to the outdoors or closed, and it's all, all screened in. So it's a kind of a semi-outside uh, experience. But uh, you think there's some uh, practical... Uh, advantages for sleeping outside outdoors with the fresh air absolutely you know you're reminding me my great grandma did that her whole life up till the age of 90 something wow uh, in in new england on her screen and porch oh my uh, god she, you, you couldn't get her to sleep inside the regular part of the house um, <laughs> yeah and, you People know she, find that, she got up there in years yeah. <laughs> but i i what definitely think that in? fresh air what was what, i was like she's sleeping in like a I think she had like a bed on a screened-in porch or something uh-huh. like that. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah. But uh, when I mentioned that to people, they kind of look at me oddly. What are you doing, sleeping outside? You know? <laughs> but uh, it's, oh, it's it's great. Yeah, tune me in. Yeah, I think so. Although I, I hear some strange sounds sometimes <laughs> out there, but I don't know. Human what, sounds. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Okay, thank you very well, much. Well, this has been great, Josh. It's been great. And please let us know what you know about your next book, and we'll check your website for this uh, retreat. This sounds really cool. Awesome. Yeah, thanks so much for the chance to connect here. Really yeah, appreciate uh, yeah, the talk today. And I really learned a lot. Definitely throw out where people can uh, find you online in particular. Yeah, yeah thanks. Yeah, consciousnature.net. My website. I'm also on Instagram at Conscious Nature Coach, and I have uh, regular nature photos and meditations up on there. Yeah, I love your Instagram. Uh, Thanks. Okay, thank you very much. This is great. Have a good Sunday. Thanks for listening to The Mystical Underground. Listen to the podcast at www.themysticalunderground.com. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Follow Trish and Rob on Instagram at Trish and Rob McGregor. Follow us on Twitter at The Mystic Cast. Visit the blog, blog.synchrosecrets.com. Visit the book site, phenomena111.com. Send us email, podcast at themysticalunderground.com. And until next week, thank you for listening and stay mystical. Josh is going to call yeah, in. I, I had him on. I had him on the phone, but for some reason, when I I was getting ready to add you guys back in, and, <laughs> and here he comes. All right. Yeah, he said he could hear us. We couldn't hear him.
Okay, jo Josh, are you there? I am, yeah. Can you hear me? Yay. Okay. Hey, jo hey Josh. Right. <laughs> Howdy. Hey, so sorry, Sky Skype is always an adventure. It's <laughs> I know. It never we've we've done these shows and it's taken us fifteen minutes to get connected and we're all nervous about the interview in the first place <laughs> and we can't get uh, on it. <laughs> that's good. It, well, Josh, I'm Trish. That's John Posey you just spoke to. And Rob. Rob's here, and our dog, Nigel. So if you hear heavy panting, it's coming from him. <laughs> okay. Nice Where do you live, Josh? Well. I'm up in the Hudson River Valley up in New York State. Okay, okay. cool. Is that open? What do you mean open? open? You know, I mean, is it, is it, are you, is that part of New York still in lockdown? Oh, okay. Well, we have some restrictions, but, um, we can walk around with masks on and uh, uh -huh. basically yeah. do what we need to do. Yeah. Yeah, is you're it... in a big UFO sighting area, the Hudson Valley. That, yeah, I've heard From a lot the about the early, early 90s, I think, yeah. yeah. Hmm. Are we ready to go, John? Uh, we can do it. So uh, <clears throat> if you guys are ready, we'll, uh, <clears throat> we'll start in uh, three, two, one.